good morning, generations. It's great to be with you guys. I'm going to have you go in your Bibles to Proverbs 17 and just jump right in with our main idea for today. It's pretty short. It's pretty simple. If Jesus is Lord of our hearts, then Jesus is Lord of our homes. That's the main idea today. If Jesus is Lord of our hearts, then Jesus is Lord of our homes. And as I said, we're going to be in Proverbs 17, Proverbs 23, Proverbs 30. We're going to start in 17. So you can make your way there. And, and while you're doing that, I just want to tell you about my first opportunity to gather with the community at Generations. This was over three years ago now. Uh, but I remember uh, my wife was at home that day. She'd been terribly sick that week. And so I uh, threw three of our five kids in, in my car because that's all I could fit in the car. Uh, our, our family minivan had been uh, totaled that week. Uh, but see, that week was supposed to be the beginning of a sabbatical for me. Um, and yet it was a complete and utter train wreck of a week. And so I showed up and... Uh, starting kicking off this time of rest, this time of resetting. But if I'm honest with you, I, it was a sabbatical I didn't want. I didn't seek it out. And yet God in his mercy granted what I needed more than I even realized at the time. See, it had been about 15 years over that of ministry that I had been involved in. And the previous five or six had been an absolute sprint, both in work and in home, uh, we had had our five children in six and a half years. And so our heads were kind of spinning uh, for that entire time. It was kind of like about a seven-year coma, um, and maybe is a good way to describe it. Um, and in ministry, I had jumped in to help lead a church that had been growing rapidly. Uh, we had seen just really exponential-type growth, baptisms. It was quite a ride to be on. And then, and then I'd moved my family in the midst of that. In fact, it was between our fourth and fifth kid. Meg was expecting number five, and we moved our family. And we jumped in again just to help lead a church that had seen a lot of rapid growth. But I kid you not, in 20 months, we met in seven different venues in five different cities. So to say that life was chaos was, is an understatement. But yet, it was a really fruitful time in many ways. It was fruitful in ministry. It was fruitful in our home. We had seen a lot of rapid growth, again, both in a church community setting and at home. But my heart underneath the surface was drifting. It was subtle at first, but over time, the costs really began to compound. You see, during the week, my wife would try to create a home that was peaceful, where our kids were learning to love Jesus and they were learning to love one another. But then I would show up on the one day that I had off like a wrecking ball. And I would just come in and just utterly destroy everything that she had spent the previous week trying to build. I was hurried. I was impatient. I was very irritable. At home, I was quick-tempered and angry. But the next morning, I would get up, 
And I would just sprint past the family while Meg tried to put the pieces back together again, carrying my bag, my angst, and what was becoming a growing sense of regret. You see, we'd gotten to the point where despite all of the amazing things that were happening around us, I've said to others, we had a church community I loved and I know they loved us. And yet because of the condition of my heart, we had to, we had to close that down. And I've, I've, here's what I've said to others. I've said, you know, because of how um, sweet the fellowship of the church was for us as a family, I don't think my kids would have grown up and hated the church. I think they would have grown up and hated me. And the more clearly I look back and see what that season of life must have been like for Meg, I, I have to be honest with you again, if the roles were reversed, I probably would have walked out. It was bad. And so here we were on the first Sunday of a sabbatical and I'm sitting in the seat with the church community of generations around me and the band strikes up a familiar arrangement of praise to the Lord and everybody begins to stand and sing and I put my head in my hands and I wept. I was not yet even aware of how broken I was. I couldn't have shared a fraction of what I just shared with you that day. And I was not yet even aware of the depths that God was willing to go to, the links that God was willing to go to, to transform me and my family. And I would watch over the next six months as God began a work in my home that reflected his claim upon my heart. Because you see, if Jesus is Lord of our hearts, then Jesus is Lord of our homes. That's the main idea. And we're going to dive right in, okay? So I want you to go to Proverbs 17. Verse 1 says, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Now, if you haven't figured this out yet, as we go through this series in Proverbs, what God's wisdom has a tendency to do is kind of open up our hearts, doesn't it? It exposes us. It, it, it challenges us. It con confronts us. It convicts us of what is it that we really love? What is it that we really desire? What is it that we really value? So when you come to a verse like this and you come to um, the, uh, the exposure of our hearts that this brings, I, I want to make sure you're asking the right questions. Better is a dry morsel, Solomon says, with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. See, the, the right question isn't to ask at this point, what would you rather have, prosperity or peace? Because they're not mutually exclusive. And, and the, the right question to ask is, is not, um, where do you want to be? Because who in their right mind is going to pick, over the long run, prosperity over peace? See, the question that we need to be asking as we come to these texts that we're going to be looking at today, we need to be asking the question, 
what does where you are at right now tell, reveal about what your heart loves right now? I'll ask it again. What does where you are at right now reveal about what your heart loves right now? And what I want to do as we get started and just kind of look generally at the home is, is I want to kind of do a quick litmus test, all right? So jump down to verse 9, and, and we're just going to look at three questions around these next three verses and, and, and kind of, again, just get an assessment of where our hearts are at and what it reveals about us. So verse 9 says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So, so what do you see when you look at the relationships in your home, your marriage, with your family, your kids, your children, maybe your grandchildren even? What do you see? Do you see love or do you see separation? Do you see patterns of reconciliation or do you see patterns of resentment? What, what do you see when you look at the relationships inside your home, do you tend to forgive offenses or do you tend to harbor them, collect them? Do you tend to let go of wrongs that are against you or do you tend to count them up? I mean, the Proverbs are actually filled with instruction, wisdom, insight for us when it comes to uh, this part of our relationships with one another. Do you see love? Or do you see separation? Here's Proverbs 10, verse 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 19, 11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Let, let me just say it this way, and this is something you can write down. I don't know if it's gonna be on the screen. But the posture of your heart will become the pattern of your home. Okay, I'll say it again. The posture of your heart will become the pattern of your home. And so what do you see? Do you see love? Do you see separation? Do you see reconciliation? Do you see resentment? Look at the next verse, Proverbs 17, verse 10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. So the next question in our little litmus test, do you see correction received with humility? Or pride. I mean, we just did a deep dive into this last week with Pastor Jeff, didn't we? And, and if, if this is a question that seems to prick your heart, I'd encourage you to go back and to listen to that message when we talked about how does our heart respond to the wisdom of God? Is it in hum, humbleness? Is it teachable? Is it, is it moldable, soft, soft? Or is it hardened toward the wisdom of God? So, so what do you see? What do you see when correction comes? Do you receive it with humility? Or with pride, do you, do you hear the criticisms that those who love you most bring to you? Do you hear them? Do you listen to them? Or do you just argue about their method of delivery? We all do that, right? We all do that. I don't care if what they said is true. They didn't have to say it that way, right? I mean, we're all guilty of that. Being a little slow to hear, slow to receive, slow to humble ourselves when somebody brings correction because we would rather just kind of pick a fight over, you know, you could have said that more kind. You could have picked a better time. So what do, you, what do you see? Are you quick to listen to input or are you determined to learn 
the hard way. Again, the thing I would kind of sum up this question with is, is this. In the face of reproof, in the, in the face of reproof, so when somebody brings something to you that, that you need to hear, you may not want to, but you need to hear, in the face of reproof, the heart will either soften in humility or the heart will harden in pride. Okay, in the face of reproof, the heart will either soften in humility or the heart will harden in pride. So what do you see? Do you see love or resentment? Do you see humility or pride? Third and last question in our little litmus test as we get going. Do you see life-giving relationships or life-draining ones? Look at Proverbs 17, verse 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. I, I love what Solomon does here, and I'll unpack this a little bit more for you than I have these other verses, because at first there's a little bit of a kind of a, um, I don't know about argument, but you just don't see the verse consistently interpreted. So depending on who you're reading, they could go a myriad of different directions around this idea of before the, the quarrel, let's read it, read it again, the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. And so, so some... They, they feel like this idea of the quarrel breaking out, it's an expression that was used in that time of like when a dog shows its teeth. You know what I mean? Like, like you've, you've probably been there in traffic, um, right? Where, you know, you, you just, you're feeling that the blood begin to boil, right? And, and you're, you're just, you know, you start to, you know, as you grit, as you're ready, you know, or if you've seen, you know, uh, a couple of, uh, of dudes about to come to blows, right? When, you, when it gets to that point, and, and, and everything starts to tense up and you just see, you know, the, the teeth begin to be exposed, right? You know, and you've seen that probably if you've got a dog. You know, Pastor Jeff's talked about his pit bulls and all of us are just like, exactly, right? I mean, he's probably seen that, um, you know, with, uh, with those dogs. So it, maybe that's what it means. The problem with, with that interpretation is it's just kind of this mixing of metaphors, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to talk about water, and now we're talking about a dog and its teeth, right? It's, maybe Solomon would do that to get your attention, but that doesn't seem to be consistent with how he writes. Others, and if, if you're old school, you might even have a King James Bible with you this morning. And, and the way that the KJV, King James, in, in, uh, translates this is it says, uh, quit before it be meddled with. And, and the idea there is just before it kind of rolls or, or rushes forward. And, and so it kind of gives this picture, right, of, of, you know, the beginning of strife is this letting out of water, but, but you need to stop before this just becomes something that you can't, you can't contain. And, and that certainly is something you can relate with, right, when it comes to strife and quarreling in a relationship. And so regardless of kind of how you interpret verse 14 of chapter 17, here's, here's what's abundantly clear. The first thing that's abundantly clear is that the smallest offense can lead to just catastrophic damage in a relationship, can it? Um, my wife and I joke about this often, that when we have a fight that just leads to separation and quarreling and, you know, we can, you know, stop at some point when we come to our senses and, and inevitably you ask that question, what, what are we even fighting about? Like, how did this even start? And oftentimes, you, you, you can follow it back to just this, this smallest of offenses. 
And yet, right? I mean, that's the wisdom that Solomon's telling us here. Like, look, when this begins, you, 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 better, you better get some self-control now. You better work through this now. You better humble yourself now. You better seek love rather than separation now because this could become something that's just catastrophic and damaging. And for, and for some relationships, apart from the grace of God, irreparable. So it's abundantly clear that that's what's being said. The second thing that's clear about the context is that what's, what's being described, kind of the overall illustration that Solomon's drawing from, is that both in the cities of this time, and, and you know, most of it was agriculture-based uh, as far as the economy, so the fields that were around the cities, is they would, they would bring water in through these reservoirs. And so what's, what's really being illustrated for us is this, this, uh, this play, this kind of syn- uh, synonymous uh, parallel that, that Solomon is trying to make, that the relationships we have in our life are like these reservoirs that would bring water to the cities in the fields and, you know, in, their, in their lives. Now, this is a really profound illustration for us. And, and maybe it's a way for us to view the relationships in our home um, differently than, than we typically do. And, and so that's why I asked the question that I did. Remember, we're in this litmus test. Do you see love or resentment? Do you see humility or pride? And here we're asking the question, do you see life-giving or life-draining relationships? Because see, what a reservoir was meant to do was to, to give life. A reservoir was meant to, to be life-giving for the community, the, the people, the, the laborers that were, that were working and living in that area. A reservoir was there so that life could come. And so Solomon is making this illustration for us, that the, the relationships that you have in your home, the marriage that God has given you if you're married, the, the kids, the children that God has given you if you're parents, okay? The, the home that God has provided for you, his desire, his, his intent, his, his, his aim, the wisdom that he has in that is that these relationships become a source of life, a source of growth. They're meant to give, to, to give flourishing to you. But when there's strife, when there's quarreling, when there's pride and separation rather than love and humility, it becomes life-draining. And you begin to lose and leak, right, deplete what God intended to actually be building up. And if it breaks out, it's not just depleted anymore, right? It's, it's destructive. It's painful. And before we jump on into another text, that, that's actually where I want to stop for a minute because I realize that if we're going to talk about this subject of family, and when we begin to take this, this assessment test here, this litmus test, I realize that it, it can expose some pain for us. Um, Family is, is, is like any gift that God's given us, right? I mean, whether you want to compare it to, to fire or sex or, or alcohol or, or anything that you could say God has given in creation as a gift, it, it can be a great good, but it can also do great damage. And so I realize that, that family may be a painful part of your story. 
that may be the case. And as we begin to dive into the home and talk about the home and we begin to ask these questions, what do you see around you? What do you see in these relationships in your home? And, and, and you begin to take stock and, and work through, man, is this life-giving or draining? Is, 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 is there humility and, and, and growth or is there hardening and pride? Is, is there love or separation? What, what do I see? This can be painful for us. And while the family might be a painful part of our story, family is still central to God's story. And I don't want us to miss that. God reveals himself to us as a heavenly father. And when you look at just what God's intent or design is in all of creation, it starts with a marriage and a family. And then God gives to our first parents, Adam and Eve, he gives to them this creation and he says, be fruitful, multiply steward this, rule over this, have dominion over this so that everything around you begins to flourish. I mean, this is central to God's story, but, but we know how it goes. And yet even with sin and brokenness and rebellion and, 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 and bitterness and all of just the, the travesty that family can bring in our stories, it's still central to God. So when you look at the covenant that God made in the Old Testament with the people of Israel, and one of the Ten Commandments that he gives is to honor your father and mother. I mean, it's central to his family. Family is central to his story. And if you jump ahead into the New Testament, I, I really, I think it's just fascinating that the God of all creation, the one through whom God created the heavens and the, and the earth, okay, the eternal word of God, the second member of the Trinity, okay? We're talking about Jesus here. He comes in the flesh. He lives in a specific place in a specific time, speaking a specific language in a specific home. I mean, just let that sink in for a second, that God himself was parented. See, family is central to his story. And the New Testament then is just filled with instruction for the church community around family, instructions for husbands and wives and fathers and, and mothers and parents and children. In fact, you could sum up the gospel around the idea of family, can't you? That God, the perfect heavenly father in Christ adopts you and I as sons and daughters. And that's why in the New Testament, the church is discussed, it's talked about through these metaphors of family. We are the bride of Christ. We are the household of God. So it may be a painful part of your story, but it's still central to God's. And by God's grace, through the work of Christ on the cross for you, for me, we can see him redeem and rebuild reset and reprioritize our homes. And so what do you see? What do you see when you begin to, to take stock and you work through those? Now I want you to go next to Proverbs 23. And uh, we're gonna look at a, a passage here that's gonna just kind of walk us through uh, four big ideas for parents, okay? Um, that's what we're going to do. 
kind of look at four big ideas. And, and there's, a, there's a, a lot of just content. I really, I know I'm, I'm, we're going over a lot of, of content. And, and so I'll, I'll, I'll just remind you that our hope, our aim, as we gather on Sundays and we open up the Bible and we, we, we learn about Jesus, we see the gospel of Jesus, no matter where we're at in the, the Bible, is that we get to take this from here and we get to talk about it, right? We get to talk about it as, as uh, maybe as families, as couples, as families, and we get to talk about it as community groups. And, and so, you know, as we're going through some of this, if, if, uh, if it's a little too quick or fast, you know, if, if you're a note taker and you're not, you're not capturing it all, uh, we'll make sure that it's available to you as you guys dive in to community groups this week. So what I want you to see, we're going to start in, uh, in verse uh, 12. But I'll just note in verse 15 and verse 19, Solomon is clearly speaking to his son. Okay, do you guys see that? Verse 15, my son, if you're wise, your heart is wise. Verse, verse 19, hear my son and be wise. And so, you know, this has been the, 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 the context. We've continually come back to it in the Proverbs series that, that, that so much of the wisdom of God that's written for us in this book is written from that perspective. A, a father who wants to impart and, and pass on and share with his children wisdom. You know, listen, my son, listen, my daughter. This is wisdom for you. Grab hold of this. You know, like, like let this become something that shapes and changes and informs, directs your life. And so that's kind of the, the aim. But what I want you to, to not miss as we look at verse 12, Solomon says this, apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Is when we, when we use this idea of father and son, you know, I, I have uh, five kids. We have, we have another one that's on the way. And, and I know I've even used this during the series, right, that, that you kind of have that picture of kind of getting down on their level and you're looking them in the eyes. But, but, but listen to what he does next, right? He goes from verse 12 saying, imply your heart and instruction, your words to knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. So what we're reading in this passage is Solomon still talking to a son, but, but the son seems to be a father himself. Okay, so I, I want to just make sure you're, you kind of wrap your mind around this. This isn't a, a, a father, a young father talking to his young son. This is an older father talking to his son who is also a father and trying to give him wisdom, trying to give him instruction around what does it look like to parent your children? Okay. And so here's four big ideas for, for you guys as parents, all right? And, and my wife and I are in the throes of this, and so um, we're learning with you, all right? I'm, I'm just drawing this out of the text. I'm not, a, I'm not up here giving this to you as an expert. Um, apply your heart to instruction, verse 12, in your ear to words of knowledge. See, the first big idea that I want you to see is, is that parenting is pretty much synonymous with discipleship, all right? We, we talk about this at Generations a lot, right? We want to multiply disciples and leaders and churches. That's our mission that we feel like God has given us um, here in LoSal and Orange County. Um, but, but that's the mission that Jesus has given us, right? I mean, it's, it's not like um, in the history of the church that there's this 
this little community in Los Alamitos, California, that was like, you know what? We've read the Bible front and back, and we think what really this is about is making disciples. Okay, like we're not the first ones to get that. You guys know that, right? Okay, just wanted to make sure, all right, that it was kind of a big deal to Jesus before he uh, ascended into heaven after the crucifixion, the resurrection. Remember Matthew 28, he turns to his followers and he says, you know, hey, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And so you're going to go now and you're going to what? Make disciples, okay? And so this whole idea of making disciples is kind of central to following Jesus. I mean, it's, it's what he did and it's what he's now, you know, given or delegated or, or empowered us by his spirit to do. But, but from the context of the home, it's not like in the home, we're trying to create some other mission. And so for those of us that are parents, that parenting is synonymous with discipleship. What are you and I trying to do, mom and dad, with our children? We're trying to make disciples, right? We want to see them baptized. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is Matthew 28 still. And we want to teach them to obey everything that he's commanded us, right? That, that's how Jesus finished that commission to his first disciples. And so for us as parents, we can basically just kind of pick, pick that up and apply that right to the home. So, so parenting at its, at its most fundamental level is synonymous with discipleship, we want to see our children grow to become faithful followers of Jesus. We want to see their hearts, right, in, convicted and, and, then, and then filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow after Jesus. And, and, and so that's, that's what we, we would want in our homes. It's synonymous. And when you look at Proverbs 23, 12, we see that if, if it's synonymous with discipleship, then, then one of the, the most fundamental things we do as parents is we instruct. That's what he's trying to tell his older son, who's a father himself, hey, apply your heart to instruction, your ears to words of knowledge, Use all that you've been given to now turn and give to your own children. And again, our story of family may be painful. You may have never had a father or a mother that took time to instruct you in God's wisdom. But God, as a perfect heavenly father, has, has given you his wisdom. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you his spirit. And I know that there are stories in this room. I think the remarkable stories of redemption of some who, of you who have broken relationships with your family, who never saw the love of Jesus from, from your parents to your own heart, and yet God has loved you and transformed you, and now you're creating this entirely different legacy in your home as you take the wisdom God's given you in his word and through his spirit and you impart that now to your children. I mean, that's an amazing story that we celebrate here at Generations. And so instruction is, is foundational to that. And uh, I'm gonna throw out a, um, a, a book for you. And, and this is, a, it's a big one, it's a thick one. And so I'd say maybe... Uh, those of you that are parents, especially if you're younger uh, kids like we do, um, it's maybe more of a resource for you. But, but there's a, a book called God, Marriage, and Family, and the name of the author is, is Kostenberger, okay? And I don't know if I'm even saying that right, but uh, God, Marriage, and Family, and it's K, and then a 
bunch of consonants and vowels after it, okay? And so you just Amazon that, and uh, this, you know, you'll find it. And um, there's a couple things I'll, I'll pull from, from, his, uh, uh, <clears throat> from his book here as we talk about parenting because it's, it, it, like I said, it's more of a resource-type book, and so there's so much just good content in there. And in, and in this idea of discipleship and parenting being synonymous, um, what, what he does in one of the parts of his book is he, he Kossenberger gives us this um, kind of a blueprint for creating a culture of discipleship in our home. And he does it around these four things. And so I just want to give them to you really quick. Um, they're, it, they're not like, you know, uh, mind-blowing mind things. I think you'll be like, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty simple. And guess what? That's probably one of the biggest things we need to hear as parents, right? I mean, I, I, I've been there, guys. I, we've been there five times. We're about to do this a sixth. I get, right? You drive to the, the, the hospital if that's how you've, you've done it, unless you've, you've done this in the home. Um, and two, two of you drive there, and then three of you drive away, right? I mean, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of crazy, like when you just stop and think about it. And, 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 and they entrust this soul to you um, and, and about the only uh, instruction that they take time at the hospital to give you is just to make sure that your car seat is properly fastened. Um, and, and then after that, you're on your own. It's just like, all right. And so you get in the car and, and you start to drive away with this life in the back seat and you look at one another and you're like, what do we do now? Right? Like I could open the glove box and there's a manual for the car that I'm operating and yet there is a life in my back seat that wasn't there when I drove to the hospital and there's no manual for this. I don't know what to do with this. And so I think for some of us as parents, we need to know, like, hey, it's, it's not complex. It's hard. It's, it's difficult. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's, it's simple. Parenting is discipleship. And if we want to create a culture of discipleship in our homes, here's, here's you know, four simple things. He, he says, there needs to be family devotion. There needs to be Bible study. Think about it this way, right, parents? We have, by God's grace, an understanding of what it means to be human that he gives us in his word that, that if we don't teach our children, what, 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 where are they going to learn that? right? I mean, again, some of you can attest, yeah, God taught me, but he taught me after an extremely painful experience of growing up. And so if you're believers as parents and God's entrusted these children to you, you have that opportunity to help them understand creation and fall and redemption and recreation. I mean, that is the story of the Bible. That's the story of the gospel. And it helps your children as they grow be able to find themselves in, in what is oftentimes a hard and complex and very difficult and chaotic world. And so that's number, you know, number one. There's family devotion. There's Bible study. There's, there's, there's instruction, knowledge, wisdom that's passed on. Second thing he says is family traditions. Now, regardless of what family you've come from, probably some of your most fond memories in growing up have to do with whatever traditions, you know, whatever kind of habits and patterns that your family had. I remember back around Christmas, Advent, as we were going through that this past year, I shared with you just some of the family traditions I remember growing up. Many of you can probably do that. 
um, whether it was around holidays, birthdays, um, you know, maybe summer, whatever it was, but there's these traditions that, that become, uh, they, they give a framework, they, they provide a richness to your experience as a family, um, a shared identity, right? And so we, we're talking about that as a, as a church family, right? We have Easter coming up, and that's something that marks our calendars, and it, it's something that we share an identity around. We're going to gather around the, the cross of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus, and it's going to be a big day. It's going to be a big celebration, and, and so that's one of those things that we can do. We, 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 we have instructions, you know, by, you know, some type of family devotion, Bible study, and then there's there's traditions that you begin to put in place and, and you, you grow your family, you create this culture of discipleship with. And then he, uh, he says, Kossenberger says, wholesome activities. And I kind of found that one a little comical, right? Because I don't, I don't even know what that means. You know, like wholesome, just like in my mind, I just, I, I'm totally a, a child of, of my generation. Um, I just think of milk. I don't know if that's where your mind went, but that's just... <laughs> That's like, that's what the word wholesome meant growing up, right? Like you see the little got milk commercials and before that, it's like, and so it's like, does that, what is he talking, do we just sit around and drink milk together as a family? Like, what is this guy actually talking about, right? But, but when you look at like the research that's underneath what you do together as, as a family, especially if you think of it in the context of our day, right? I mean, they still say, do you guys realize like from the, the sociological, you know, psychological perspective, all the research that's done, they still say that one of the most instrumental things that you can do in the life of your children is to have a meal together every day. Again, it's simple, guys. Like, it's not like this is overly complex as far as creating a culture of discipleship in your home. But, but think about what we do nowadays, right? Like when our, our, our meal time can look more like this. Right? And, and again, if you want to just dive into the research, you can. Um, but you, you realize everything is pointing to the more hours our kids spend on this, and it's not as if we're somehow exempt from this, the more depressed we are. Right? So I think wholesome activities can be something as simple as just having a meal together. Right? Um, like, like doing things, again, that are life-giving rather than life-draining. Um, that's, that's what relationships in the home are designed by God to be. And so Kostenberg gives us just these simple things. How do you create this culture of discipleship? Family devotion, family traditions, wholesome activities. And then the fourth one maybe, maybe requires a little bit more explanation. He's the only one that I've seen go this route of all of the different family stuff I've read. But the fourth one that he puts on the list is actually spiritual warfare. Did you see that coming? I, I, I would have never, I would have never guessed that. I would have never guessed that. But, you know, when you kind of take a step back and you think, okay, man, from the very beginning of creation, if the enemy has had an aim, (laughs) it's gone right at the heart of families, hasn't it? Right? I mean, the fall as we call it, right? Sin entering into your experience and mine in the history of humanity actually happened within the context of the first marriage. The first murder happened between two brothers. And so if there is an aim that the enemy has, 
it's, it has something to do with the heart of our families. And so I know that Meg and I, as, as our kids continue to grow, we, we, that's something that actually, you know, the more I thought through what Kostenberg is trying to tell us, the more I realized, like, you know, there, there are already habits of ours, you know? I, I, I love praying and singing with my kids every night. I've done that enough as a family tradition, I guess you could call it, or a wholesome activity. I'm not sure. I don't have milk there. But, um, but how whatever category that falls under, um, I've done that enough that, that now even my older boys, if, if, I, if I get them into bed and I, I, I try to walk out of the room without doing those two things, they're like, no, no, no. You didn't pray or sing. All right, all right, let's do that. And when I pray for my children, inevitably every single night, I'll ask that God protect them from the enemy. Because growing up as a kid, I mean, I know for some of it, it's hard to go back there, but probably not, right? We can probably remember, we can probably remember how lonely life as a kid can feel. And how when, when we're not right relationally with our parents and we just get tossed into bed at night, how desperate that environment can be. And if somebody's not praying for our protection, we're vulnerable, aren't we? We're vulnerable to an enemy that's going to whisper in our ears. Did God really say? You really think he's loving? You really think he cares? Right? So it makes sense when you when you think, parents, right, how do we create a culture of discipleship in our home? It makes sense that this idea of spiritual warfare would be placed in there as one of these four things that, that this author gives us. So again, you can look it up. It's God, marriage, and family. But let's look at the next big idea. All right, next big idea. I, I got to get through uh, this content. Um, discipline. There we go. I know I'm in front of the screen today. Sorry. The band is growing. Um, all right, so discipline. Look at Proverbs 23, uh, 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from death. Okay? Now, uh, this is a tough one. Okay? This, this is a tough one. Um, uh, some of you may, may know this. Uh, but Meg, my wife, she's, uh, she's been writing the last few years. And, um, and so she has a blog she writes on. And she wrote an article on discipline. And, uh, and the responses are, are over here or over there. There really isn't a middle ground. Um, she's gotten notes from pastors that, that say, hey, thank you so much. And there's some parents in our church that have found this online. And they've passed it around. And it's been so helpful to them. And yet there's, there's others who reach out and um, the, the, uh, the language is really strong and the labels are very damning. And, uh, and I get it. They're mostly coming from a place where discipline did not look in any way biblical. Um, but it was basically just an opportunity for their parents to vent their anger. Okay. And so I, I get it. I get this is a tough one, right? That as parents, we're usually on one side or the other of this idea of discipline. 
Um, and and uh, I, in fact, we were just, Meg and I, listening to a comedian last night who uh, brought up this topic of discipline. Um, and this wasn't a, a believing comedian. And, uh, and yet, even in that setting, right, as, as, as maybe, you know, in, in the, the com- comedic, comedic, is that even a word? In, in the industry of comedy, um, <laughs> that, uh, you're right, where you can basically say about anything you want, um, you know, it, it, there's really no, no rails, no boundaries. And yet, even this guy was like, uh, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not even going to really touch that topic uh, with a mic. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're terrified of this in our day and age. Um, to, to address this idea of discipline. Because again, you're, you're usually on one side or the other. As parents, we, we, either, we, we either need to see the necessity and understand the wisdom of God in this. Because it's not like Solomon just talks about it here. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline. In Proverbs 22, 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it from him. I mean, this is a topic that, that is, it's in there, right? It's in the Bible. It's there. And so either we need to see God's wisdom in it, or there are some of us as parents that need to know this is a secondary part of discipleship. You know, that what's primary, what's fundamental for us as parents is to train and to teach our kids, to shepherd them, to instruct them. Discipline is secondary to that. And, and, and it does go awry really quick when we as parents have this expectation that our kids are just going to figure it out apart from our instruction And then whenever they don't get it, whenever they're slow, whenever they're simple, whenever they fail, whenever they stumble, then we just get angry and we discipline them from this place as though God must have lost his mind to give us kids that need to be parented, right? I mean, of course they need to be parented. Of course they need to be parented. But again, the research is there for us to to dive into. I mean, we've gotten to know over the last couple of years, this guy, we've met him at the gym and come to find out he's a believer. And then as we've gotten to know him, he's got this ministry. He's written a couple books, but his life has been spent as a a financial manager for the uber wealthy is how he says it. So I don't know any of his clients, but when he describes what their lives are like, um, I I would probably call them uber wealthy. And, and, uh, And what he's written about actually has nothing to do with the financial wisdom of stewardship and investing in things that he's done for 30 plus years of his life. What he's begun to write about is how if you don't put some guardrails, if you don't teach your kids how self-control, if you don't have some way to discipline and train up your children, it looks terrible on the back end. And he's watched these families just spiral absolutely out of control as moms and dads have built empires of wealth through their you know, business or world or investing or however they've accumulated it. And yet with their children, they've never taken the time to invest anything. And it's a train wreck, right? So this topic, I get that it's hard, but, but there's instruction that the scripture gives us, and it's secondary, and yet there's wisdom. And those are probably the two things we need to see the most as parents. But, but here's, again, I'm just going to kind of lean on uh, Kostenberger. I'm going to give you seven things really fast. And again, I know some of your note, note takers, and I don't have these on the screen. But just kind of listen in, and, and we'll make sure you have this for your community groups. But here, here he gives seven things that kind of, uh, kind of uh, 
give some texture to the idea of biblical discipline. He says it needs to be one, consistent, two, age appropriate, three, fair and just, meaning the punishment fits the crime, um, four, child specific, right? Because you, you have different personalities in your home, right? Like, like we have, uh, you know, children in our home that we can speak to and, and just even the tone of our voice can just melt them, crush them. And, and yet we have, you know, children in our home that like I could, uh, I, well, I'll be careful. I'm not going to do this, but I'm just saying it doesn't matter what we could use a rod or something larger. And it's like, there's no connection <laughs> between, right? There's no connect. I mean, there's different personalities in the home. And so being able to learn, you know, re- just relationally, the child specific, number five, in love and not anger. And that's huge, guys. Anybody I've ever seen that has this massive, massive, um, you know, uh, aversion to biblical discipline is typically coming from that place. The minute they hear anything that sounds um, like rod in the context of Proverbs, they jump to, you know what, my parents beat me. And that's not discipline, guys. That's, that's child abuse, okay? Um, that's child abuse. And so, so you, you, that's number five. Number six, it's future-oriented, future-looking, um, right? Because you're, you're not trying in the context of the family to, to create little Pharisees that think they're good because they behave good, right? You know, every behavior is tied to a, um, an attitude of the heart. And so for us as parents, if we're going to discipline rightly, we're going to get beneath the behavior and we're going to shepherd their heart. We're going to instruct their heart, right? Because we, we, we're making disciples here. And then the last thing he says is it's relational, and, and that is, that is huge. Um, I've done this poorly. I've done this well. And when I do this well, it's amazing how walking through a process of discipline actually wins my child relationally back to me. Um, because that's, that's really what God gives us in the context of Scripture, right? For us as parents, there's a God who is in authority over all of creation, including us. And when we step outside of that authority to do our own thing, it goes terribly wrong. Um, and so this kind of analogy I'm borrowing from a guy named Ted Tripp. He wrote a, a couple of books, Shepherding and Instructing a Child's Heart. And so what you're doing with discipline is helping your children see, listen, you're stepping outside of the authority that God has given. And when you step outside of that authority, it's going to go poorly for you. But when, when, you, when you trust his, his authority, his power in your life. And when you listen and walk after that in your life, it will typically go well for you. And then here's where the gospel comes in, parents. How many of us consistently trust and listen to the wisdom and authority of God in our lives? Right? How often do we ourselves step outside of that to do our own thing? And so apart from Jesus changing our hearts, we don't learn to love him as God and Father, and we aren't willing to follow him as God and Father. And so every single time we discipline our children, there's an opportunity to share the gospel. Apart from him changing our hearts, we don't learn to love him, trust him, follow him, obey him. But God in Christ has sent Jesus to die for our sin, to give us new hearts so that we can learn to love and follow after him. That's the gospel.
right? So, all right, I'll be quicker, hopefully, on these next two. All right, number three, big ideas for parents, uh, the light. Look at, look at verses 15 and, and uh, 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Um, this, for me, I, I kind of gave you guys some context at the beginning of uh, this morning for, for just how over the last three or more years, God has been remaking my own heart and therefore my home. Because if Jesus is Lord of our hearts, he's Lord of our home. That's the, that's the main idea, right? And this was probably one of the biggest ones. Because parents, one of the things that we have to continually ask ourselves on this road of parenting is whether or not we view our children as blessings or burdens. And the moment that we view our children, our family as burdens, I guarantee you this, the last thing they will ever say to describe the way that you interact with them is that you delight in them. Because there's not a single thing in your life or mine that we delight in that we view as a burden. Do you realize that? Okay, what do we do with burdens? Right, we complain about them, <laughs> we moan, we grumble about them, we do everything our, we can to, to get rid of them, to get past them. Okay, that's what we do with burdens. But blessings in our life we cherish, blessings in our life we embrace, blessings in our life we celebrate, blessings in our life we delight in. And so that's what Solomon is saying here, parents, is that the big idea for us is, is we're discipling our children. And secondarily, there's that idea of discipline, you know, that we want to teach them that there's a world they live in and there's, there's rails and it goes off the rails and it goes bad. But, but when it's all said and done, what, what you and I want for our children is that when they think of mom and dad, when they think of the home and the relationships and the environment we've created, that, man, my parents loved me. My parents delighted in me. And, and so, you I know, mean, I could tell you stories in our own home where, and, and, I, and I don't mean it from the standpoint of like, hey, listen, we've really got it down. Here's how it typically looks for us. I'll just use a really simple example that happened probably within the last two or three months. Megan and I were sitting at the table talking one night, and the kids were either upstairs or downstairs kind of doing their thing. And, and every now and then what that sounds like is it, it really, it sounds like there's a brawl outside, okay? Like it can, it can go bad and, and it can go bad quick, right, parents? And, and so Meg and I, since we were talking through something, we, we didn't just jump right in. And after a few seconds, we heard one of the boys walking down the steps to the other boy who was in the living room. And we heard him saying of his own volition, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I spoke to you and how I handled that. You know, will you please forgive me? And I remember Meg and I looking at one another and, and just both of us tearing up because it's like, praise Jesus. <laughs> Like maybe they're getting it, right? Like maybe they're catching it because that's not the norm. It's just not, guys. Like, again, I don't, we don't have this down. And, and that's the thing about parenting is so much of the time as parents, you feel like a failure and you just think you're ruining your kids. And you're, I mean, that's, that's what it feels like uh, as parents, right? And so apart from God's grace, apart from his spirit empowering us, apart from us trusting the wisdom of God to remain Diligent, and that's number four. I want you to see this. You've got to remain diligent so that when you see those moments, right, that they're getting it, you can delight in them. But look at these, these last couple of verses in this section, verse 17 and 18. Let your heart not envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. I mean, we have to be diligent, parents. We have to. 
because it's a hard road and it's just wrought with opportunity after opportunity to just want to punt and give up and just say, forget it. Like, I'm just working as hard as I can and it doesn't seem to be bearing any fruit. So we do have to trust in the wisdom of God and we've got to remain diligent together in this because we're going to grow weary and we need to hear this wisdom, right? Um, because here's the reality of the, of the alternative, okay? I've, I've said this often of, um, you know, when you speak just really broadly about the culture of Orange County, all right? One of the biggest knocks, right, on the, the people that we live around, this culture that we are a part of, okay? So I'm not doing any they. This is us. Is Orange County can be a really self-absorbed, immature place to live. Um, I mean, you can say amen, um, Okay? <laughs> Because, because it's, it's all around us, and we're a part of it, okay? It can be a very self-absorbed, a very immature people that you and I are a part of here in Orange County. And I'll tell you one of the biggest reasons why, okay? Because every commitment we make is contingent on the next best option. That's the way we plan our weekends, and that's the way we treat our marriages, and so generation after generation, if we're not willing to work through hardship together, then we're never going to grow and there's never going to be character or maturity. And so you do that, right, time after time after time and that's the legacy you pass on and what you get are a lot of preoccupied, self-occupied, self-absorbed, immature people. And that's, that's who we are here. And yet by God's grace, through the empowering of his spirit, the grace that he gives us in the gospel, right? We can learn to persevere through hardship. And parents, that's the word we need to hear is, is don't grow weary. Continue to be diligent in this exercise, this, this endeavor of parenting to, to, to disciple our kids and discipline our kids and delight in our kids. Be diligent in these things because you know that you're going to get to that place where you're looking for a return policy, all right? And it doesn't exist, right? But you are, like, you're going to look back. You're going to long for the ease of life before you had kids. You're going to look ahead and you're going to start graduating our, your kids and just thinking like, man, if we can just get to that day where, where they're out of the house, right? If that day ever comes, um, I mean, that you're going to get to those places where all of it just seems to be too overwhelming. And you're going you're gonna to spin out. You're going to check out. You're going to give up. You're going to blow up. You're going to lose your sanity in the midst of this process, right? You're going to lose your perspective. You're going to lose your heart. You're going to lose your hope. But I'm telling you, if Jesus is Lord of your heart, then Jesus is Lord of your home. And if you'll let him do that deep work in your own heart, by his grace, you're going to see that bear fruit over time in your home. And so what I'm going to do for the sake of time is I'm going to, I'm going to stop there. And uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to close with this, all right? And, and I'll shoot you guys, you community leaders, specifically some notes on Proverbs 30. But what I want to do is I, I want to just re remind us, guys, if, if we look at this idea of home, family, parenting children, if we look at this idea in Proverbs and all we feel is condemnation, I want you to know that in Christ Jesus, there's hope. There's hope, not only for you to be released of the bitterness that you might have toward your own parents and family 
there's hope for you as parents for you to be able to persevere and be diligent and create an environment in your home that's life-giving and not life-draining. Okay, there's hope if all you're here is condemnation. I want you to know there's hope. But, but I will say this, Jesus is Lord of our hearts, then Jesus is Lord of our homes. That's a call to repentance. That's a call to repentance. And so if you're convicted this morning in that, I want you to know, I want you to know that that's where we want you to start, okay? Before you even come and take communion, we want you to start by just getting together as a family and, and just talking that out, praying that out, you know, just being able to share together that moment of here's what I need to own. And by God's grace, it's covered in Jesus' blood at the cross, right? There's hope, there's redemption. But we are gonna be doing communion and we'll intro that in just a minute. But I want you to know about community. Um, please, we've referenced it a bunch this morning. But think about jumping in to community um, because we're blind, all right? So many of us are blind to our own shortcomings and failures and sins, and we need the people around us, not just to encourage us on this road, but to help us see it. And I'm so grateful that God in, in, in his grace um, throughout our lives as parents has put me around other men and women that I've been able to watch and just say like, man, I want to parent the way those people parent. Um, and we need that. You know, we need that, you know, in the, in the community that God gives us in the church helps us with that. So let's pray. And then uh, I believe uh, Scott's coming up to intro our response time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've given us in the, the word. We thank you that there is hope. We thank you that there's wisdom that you give to us. We thank you that you don't leave us um, just groveling, striving, um, speculating, trying to figure out on our own. What does it look like to love you and to love our families? What does it look like to follow you and, and, to, and to be on your mission? Father, you're, you're so good and you're good to, to just give us instruction, to give us wisdom, to give us a word that, that directs our hearts ultimately toward you. But then it does provide for us that framework that we need to live this out day in and day out in, in just the nitty gritty of our lives. And it doesn't get any more fundamental than our home. And so Father, we pray that you would do a really profound work in our hearts and in our homes here at Generations. We pray that you would do something that, that not only can we point at and just say, look at how, how merciful and faithful God is, but we pray that our neighbors and our friends and the people that we meet through school and work, that they would look in and they would be asking questions, right? Like, how do you love like that? How do you, how do you create a, a culture in your home like that? And, and it would just give us that chance, Father, to continue to point to how good and faithful you are to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.